Just a few minutes ago, we were singing the song, Peace on Earth, which is a prayer asking God to come and bring peace into a world that's filled with injustice, brokenness, loneliness, poverty, and war. I wonder what you feel when you're praying that, when you're singing that prayer. If I'm honest, sometimes I feel like peace on earth is impossible, and so why pray for it? Why strive for it? Right now in the world, there are 32 military conflicts. There's the large war between Russia and Ukraine and 31 others, drug wars, terrorist insurgencies, ethnic conflicts, civil wars. You add on top of that just what you hear in the news that's happening in neighborhoods all around us with gang violence and shootings, just unsafe places to live. You add on top of that the, the tension and the anger and the hostility, division in our country around race and around politics and education and social issues. Looks like we're headed toward a a peace-filled 2024 election cycle again with much respect and peace. No, I think we, we look at what's coming next year and probably feel a sense of anxiety as, as we remember the conflicts and the division that was experienced in our country last election. And then maybe just in your own home. Maybe your home feels like a place of tension and anger and shouting and arguments, or maybe it's the flip side of that, your home's silent because the resentment is so deep that you no longer communicate. The world is overflowing with chaos and conflict and hostility and hurt and brokenness and anger and animosity and, and hatred, peace on earth. It feels unreachable. Why even pray for it? Why even strive for it? What would it even look like to strive for it? And, and that brings us to our passage today in Matthew 5. We're looking at the seventh beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you are part of God's plan to bring peace here on this earth. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. This is the introduction of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he gives these eight or nine, depending on how you're counting, Beatitudes uh, beatitude just means the word happy, and so Jesus is opening by, by saying, you want to know what the truly happy, truly flourishing, truly joy-filled life is? This is what it looks like. So follow me, follow me into this upside-down kingdom as the only way to truly experience the joy-filled, blessed, flourishing, happy Life. Let's read them. Let's read verses 3 through 10 out loud. If This is from the CSB. If you've got a different translation, maybe you could just read along with us on the screen so that we're all reading the same words. But let's read these Beatitudes together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven. This is what life and culture looks like in his kingdom. This is, these are the characteristics of followers of Jesus, and he's describing this, but he's not only describing what, follower of Jesus, what followers of Jesus look like, he's also inviting us into a more full expression of this. He's saying, follow me into this. As you're more conformed into the image of Christ, as Christ is formed in you, then these beatitudes begin to be expressed even more and more. And so today we're looking at peacemaking, where Jesus says, if you are a follower of me, because I'm a peacemaking God, you will also be peacemakers. And you, you are part of God's plan to bring peace here on this earth. So God wants to use you to spread his peace wherever you are. That's, that's going to be the theme of this sermon that we'll keep coming back to. God wants to use you to spread his peace wherever you are. Start by looking at what is his peace. What does he mean by peace? Peace is a, it's actually an incredibly rich term all throughout Scripture. In the New Testament, the, the Greek word behind it is arene. We get our word irenic, uh, which means peaceful. Uh, and it's used a hundred times in the New Testament. But Jesus, being a Jew, also would have had this Old Testament background in his mind. You know what the Old Testament word for peace is? Shalom, that's right. In the Old Testament, it's used 230 times. And it's, it is a rich explanation of the restoration of all things. Uh, it, it's used sometimes to, to talk about a, a stone wall that has no cracks, no gaps in it. It's whole. It's complete. And so think about that. Think of the, the world. Because of sin entering into the world, it's broken. Relationships are broken. Humans' relationship with God is broken. We're now God's enemies. Humans' relationship with one another is broken. And so shalom is the restoration of that, of, of setting things right. When we think of peace, we think of the end of a military conflict. Uh, but it's, it's actually more than that. It's, it's not just a ceasefire. It's not just the end of the conflict. True shalom would be if those two parties actually then cared about one another's good. They actually became friends. They actually were reconciled and were working for the good of one another. And so it's, it's not just the end of fighting. It's the restoration of the relationship. And so here's what Jesus is, is speaking into. He's, he's drawing on all of this Old Testament concept of shalom and peace and the restoration of all things that, that every human is longing for. And Jesus is saying, you, you now are going to be 
spreaders of this peace. You are part of God's plan to create peace in a hostile, conflict-ridden world. Let me just trace us through a few of these scripture passages. There are five times in the New Testament where this is a name of God. It's, it's, God is called the God of peace. And so this is important for us to understand. God is the ultimate peacemaker. He is the one that we are then going to reflect. We're his children, and so we're living like God lives by creating peace because that's what our Father does. And so this Old Testament theme in the prophet Isaiah, they were looking forward to a Messiah who would come and bring this kind of shalom, bring this kind of restoration. We read this passage a lot at Christmas time in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, hear this one, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And so all throughout Old Testament history, they are looking forward to this Messiah who would come and bring shalom, bring peace, who would set up his kingdom and that his kingdom, there would be a kingdom of peace. And then when Jesus was born in Luke 2, this is, this is what the angels said. Suddenly there was this multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and what? And peace on earth to the people he favors. After Jesus lived his perfect life, died in our place, rose again, Paul is, is writing about the kind of peace that Jesus brought. In Colossians 1, and this, is, this starts to get personal, not just, not just global peace on earth that Jesus will bring, but the kind of peace that Jesus purchased for you individually. Colossians 1 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, how? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you. Okay, so here is the ultimate peace that we need, that we need to be reconciled to God, that we were born into this world, every one of us, Maybe you came in here and you didn't even know this. You don't feel in, your, in yourself this animosity toward God, but you came here not really knowing what Christianity is. We're glad that you're here. But the Bible tells us every one of us is born in rebellion against God, hating his ways, wanting our own. Uh, we're alienated. We're, we're distant and separated from God. And through Christ, through Jesus, what he did on the cross, he purchased a way for us, God's enemies, to have peace with him. 
for God now to look at us and say, you are my friend. But he doesn't just say that. He says, you're my child. You're my son. You are my daughter. He's brought us into that close of a family relationship with him. He's made that kind of peace that we who are far off can be brought near. This is the the assurance of pardon or the assurance of God's grace and mercy that was read in today's service. That since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is what every one of us needs. Peace with the God of this universe. But then Paul in Ephesians fills that out even more and says it's not just peace with God. But as God reconciles us, he also is creating peace among humans. Look at Ephesians 2. It's on the screen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. Okay, so that's the same concept we were just talking about. Peace with God. We've been brought near. Christ is our peace. But now listen to this. Who made both groups one. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations. Why? So that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. So he's speaking of the the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile that existed at that time. And, And Paul is saying that God, when he reconciles us to himself, he's also reconciling us to one another. The unity that we have in Christ. Verse 16 says, He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. So God is at work accomplishing peace bringing shalom into this world of conflict, into this world that's, that's filled with animosity, filled with anger, filled with war. God is making a way for his enemies to be at peace with him. Through the cross, through Christ's bloodshed, God has made a covenant of peace with us. We were alienated from God, but now we can be called his friends. Now we can be called his children. He's brought us into that peace. And beyond that, he has also made a way for us to have peace with others. So these are the the two trajectories of peace. Peace with God and then peace with others. God is the ultimate peacemaker. This is why Jesus invites us to be peacemakers. And when he does, he says, you'll be called the children of God because children reflect their father. Children live out the characteristics of their father. They're characterized by this. And since God is a God of peace, he's saying, you, as my child, also then will spread my peace. And so that leads us to the next part. God wants to use you to spread his peace. Seeing what his peace is, now now looking back at this beatitude, this is what God's calling you to do. Not just what he has done, but also now at work in your life, he's going to use you to spread his peace wherever you are. How? 
How do we do this? How would God use us? I want you just to imagine the earth. It's got this globe in your mind with the blue and the green and the clouds around it, whatever image of earth you have in your mind. And now, though, fill it with darkness. Imagine the conflicts, the wars, the darkness, the evil that's all over this world, but sprinkled all around your city, sprinkled all around this globe, God has placed his people, his children, as glimmers of light, of, as places of peace and of shalom. We, we open by saying, I don't know if peace is possible. I don't know if peace on earth is possible. But now think of this. God wants to use you. In that world of conflict and darkness, God has placed you right where you are, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your church, at at your place of work, at your school, wherever you are, God has placed you there and has called you to be a peacemaker, spreading his peace, spreading his shalom. So how do we do that? Well, there were two trajectories that God was concerned about, peace with him and then peace with others. So let's start by thinking about how do you help others find peace with God? How is God using you, placing you in someone else's life to help them take steps toward him, steps toward finding peace with their creator? Paul Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He's he's speaking of the the reconciliation that we have with God, the restored relationship that we have with God. And then he's saying, and now God's given you this ministry He says, everything is from God who's reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word peace doesn't show up there, but the theme does, that that God has reconciled us to himself. He's made peace between us and him. And now it says he's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. What a beautiful way to think of evangelism, to think of telling others about Christ, about God, about helping others take steps toward God is is to recognize your identity, if you're a child of God, is to be an ambassador of peace, To, to help others know, here's how you can find peace with your creator. Every everyone you meet is longing for something better. They might not even know it. They might not look like it at least. But that's the angst that they feel. That's the the pain that they feel, the brokenness of this world and the hunger, the hunger to have those things made right. And they're looking for all different ways to numb that pain or to fix that pain or to try to try to bring restoration, to try to find shalom. And God has placed you in their life to help them know how can they have peace 
with the creator of this universe. And so what does that look like? It, it might be for some time, sometimes, in some ways, you end up with a chance to give a full explanation of the hope that lies within you. Peter talks about that. Someone, someone says, hey, what's different about you? And, and maybe you have a chance to talk about Christ, who he is, what he has done, complete with a call to repent and believe. And sometimes that happens, and that's the courage we need to take those steps and have those conversations. Other times, though, it might be praying, God, how will you use me today to just nudge someone along, to help them take a step. Maybe it's a question that I ask, a little comment that makes them think, uh, some, some little way that I, I show your love, I show your grace, and, and speak of the hope that I have in you, just a little way of helping someone nudge them along in their journey of finding peace with God. But but it starts with this desire, this recognition of our identity of this is what Paul's saying. This is, this is what God's placed us here for, is to implore people, to appeal to people on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to your creator, to your God. But, but when Jesus and Paul and the Bible talks about peacemaking, it's not only talking about that vertical relationship. Often it is also talking about the horizontal relationships as well. And so we strive to help others find peace with God. But then we also strive to create peace with others. And there are passages that talk about this. Even in the Sermon on the Mount itself, just a little bit later, Jesus, Jesus here says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And several verses later, in Matthew 5, verse 43, he picks up on this theme again. He doesn't use the word peacemaker, but you can tell as you go through this that he's talking about the same thing. He's filling that out even more. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So there's that same theme. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, you'll be called sons of God. Here he says, love your enemies so that you may be children of your Father. So in the same way, this is what it looks like to reflect our Father. It's to show this kind of love, not just to our friends, but to our enemies. And then he describes some actions, ways that this would look in your life. First he's, first, he's describing God. So here in verse 45, he says, For God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so he's, he's saying, look at, look at the character of your God. He does good for all, not just those who are followers of him, but he sends these common grace blessings on the whole world. And so you too should not just love your friends, not just show kindness to your friends, but seek peace and love for this world. And so here's what he says. If you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And so in seeking peace in relationships, Jesus is saying, do good to all. Love your enemies. Uh, 
greet even those who are your enemies. And so just these common grace, kindness ways of, of not following the world's categories of friend and enemy, but we're called as God's people to seek peace in relationships. Romans 12, as Paul picks up on this theme, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he goes on and describes that by talking about ways that we don't take vengeance and that we show kindness to enemies and do good things for them. But then in Hebrews 12, there's a similar theme. It says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. The call is clear. If possible, as much as it depends on you, as far as you can go, seek to live at peace with everyone. That your horizontal relationships, striving for peace in relationships, is what we are called to pursue. But what does it look like? As you think of, as you think of this beatitude, Jesus is, is lifting up in front of us. This is the description of the good life. And he's, he's inviting us into fuller expression of this. So we should strive for it. We should pursue it. We should pursue more to reflect God, to reflect Christ in this way. But we don't always. And so I think it's helpful to think about what does it look like? How are we tempted when we drift away from being peacemakers? What does that look like in our lives? I was helped by these two rhymes, these rhyming words. I didn't make them up. Uh, I saw them a few different places. One place that I could just mention, I don't know if he made them up or not, is Ken Sandy. He has a book called Peacemaker. And he, he says that when we're tempted to drift from this, we become peace fakers, or we become peace breakers. That's a helpful category to think about ways, almost opposite sides of the spectrum, that, that we are tempted to fail or tempted to sin in this way. What, what does it look like? So when you are a peace faker, you're not a true peacemaker. You're not truly making peace. So, so how do we fake peace? This is, these are the ways that we avoid conflict. We're running from it. When you're offended, when you're angry, and you bury it. And someone says, is everything okay? Yep. You say, are you sure? It doesn't seem like it's okay. Everything's fine. It's, it's fine. And you bury it. And it just starts to grow. Hebrews calls it the root of bitterness. That, that down deep, because you're avoiding the conflict, you're trying to run from it, and, and yet in your spirit, in your heart, there's anger there, and it's growing, and it builds. You're not dealing with it. You're running from it. But yet, you are keeping a list. You're keeping a record. They just did it again. They just did it again. They just did it again. And, and internally, you have this growing root of bitterness 
that's going to destroy you. Or it's going to, to build and build and build and just snap and explode. These are ways that we fake peace. Maybe you even think, I'm just trying to make peace here. But actually, you're not. You're not creating shalom and peace in that relationship. You're not, you're not working for the peace of that relationship because it's inside, it's, it's disintegrating. It's breaking because you're just faking it, surface level on the outside. Or if you are the offending party and someone, someone confronts you about something, another way that we fake peace is by trying to just be defensive and deny that anything ever happened. In... 2022, last year, Miriam Webster's word of the year, I don't know if they have multiple words of the year, but I just saw that it was a word of the year at least, was gaslighting. Um, and that's a word that you'll, you'll start hearing and you're seeing maybe it's associated with abuse in ways that abusers try to manipulate victims and make them think that actually you're just crazy. They're denying anything ever happened and trying to, to distort their whole perception of reality to make them wonder, like, did I, did I imagine this? Am I just imagining everything? And, but because what's, what you're doing is you're trying to fake peace. Like, no, you're crazy. I didn't do that to you. I didn't, I didn't cause that. I didn't say that. I didn't mean that. I was just teasing. And, and the ways that we are just defensive and denying is another way, rather than dealing in humility with our sin, we just try to cover it. We're trying to avoid the conflict by denying it. Another way that we fake peace is that we don't ever come alongside someone and, and point out sin or, or confront a sin that we're seeing start to grow in their life. Ways that we're seeing them be, be pulled away and led down a path of destruction. We, we don't want to say anything because we don't want to risk the relationship, the relational fallout, because sometimes that will happen. Sometimes striving for peace and peacemaking actually will get you hated. And that will lead us to the last beatitude next week of blessed are the persecuted. Because when you live, when you live out these beatitudes of Christ, it doesn't mean that all of your relationships are just going to be easy. That, that's, that's faking peace. But when you actually are seeking the good of someone else, the peace, the shalom of, of someone else and the relationship, sometimes that's really difficult. So there are lots of ways we avoid. We avoid the conflict. We bury it. That's faking. What about ways we break peace? When you're a peace breaker, then of course you're not a peacemaker. And these are the more aggressive ways. These are the more active ways. Uh, that we destroy and break down relationships in the way that we're, we're speaking critically and harshly and unkind words. Maybe in an argument, instead of even dealing with the conflict, we just start attacking the person and their character. Uh, and we exaggerate. And this happens in, in interpersonal conflict where we just say, this is just who you are. This is how you always act. This is what you always do. And we just overgeneralize and exaggerate and just start attacking the person. Or maybe in that, in that disagreement, we're not listening at all. We don't, we don't care to, to try to see something through their perspective understand what they're saying, what they're feeling. Instead, we're just trying to win the argument at all costs. And some of you 
are good at that. And you could win every argument, but at what expense? At the expense of the person, the expense of the relationship, doesn't lead to peace. We break peace by gossiping, speaking to others who don't need to be involved in the situation. We break peace by lying. We break peace by posting inflammatory or unkind posts or memes or whatever it is on social media or in your texts that sometimes hiding behind a phone. It's easier to say really unkind, really hurtful, really derogatory things. We're not pursuing peace. We're not spreading the peace of God when we do that. Even in the church, sometimes we let little preferences, little opinions fester and grow and become divisive. This is what Jesus was praying in his high priestly prayer. God, help my people, my family, help them to be one, just as we are one. He was praying for the the unity of his people because division in and this kind of conflict, this conflict not itself, but when we, when we then deal with it in hurtful, peace-breaking ways, attacking one another and bitterness that grows, doesn't reflect who our God is. This, this place, New Covenant Bible Church, should be a house of peace where we're, we're seeking the good of one another and spreading God's shalom. And then we, we're gathering to do that each week and then we're scattered out all over this world and God's using us wherever we are in all of our relationships to spread his peace, to help those around us to find peace with God, to help those around us seek, seek reconciliation in relationships. This is, this is our identity You are a child of God. And this is what your father is like. And this is what he's calling us to do. This is, this is what he's saying. Your purpose, one of your purposes in this world is to spread his peace. This is his plan for how we're singing about peace on earth. How does that happen? It happens through us. He's called us to be involved in that process of spreading and making peace. One little clarification think it's helpful because you might be sitting here just thinking I've got relationships that are so broken and I don't know if there's anything I can do this is why it's helpful I think that in Romans 12 Paul says if possible as much as it depends on you because there are some relationships that there's nothing we can do uh, for, for peace if, you, if a couple weeks back we had a message on mercy and there was similar uh, clarification that there are times when what does forgiveness look like? And there are situations where it, there needs to be repentance in order for reconciliation to happen. And there needs to be a desire on both parties for reconciliation to happen. And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're here and you're just saying, I, I don't, that person doesn't, won't even talk to me. There's, there's nothing that I can do. So this, this passage is helpful because it says, if possible, as much as depends on you, strive to live at peace with everyone. But that's not just an excuse like, well, okay, I'm going to have a bunch of broken relationships because it's also a convicting call, isn't it? I've been thinking about this this week. There are some people who relationships feel strained. 
There are some people that don't like me all that much. Probably a shock, right? No, I'm just kidding. All of us, all of us have some of those. And I've been thinking this week, have I done all that's possible? As much as, much as it depends on me to strive for reconciliation, to strive for peace, because this is, this is part of my identity, that wherever I am, in all my relationships, God has placed me here to, to pursue and spread his peace. What would this look like if our whole church did this? Imagine that. Imagine the joy and, and the peace that would spread. I'm going to put an image up on the screen of our church. We have 600 uh, attenders that are on a list and I, and I couldn't include them all because when you zoom out that far, it just looks like this giant glob of, of red dots. So I just zoomed in here to St. Charles and Geneva. You can kind of tell it goes up to, toward South Elgin there. These are homes of people in our church. Get that image in your mind again of this globe, the darkness of this world, the hostility, the conflict that happens all around you. And now this is where God's placed you. If you see your home on there, or you can imagine you're out here somewhere on, in the, beyond the screen, this is where God has placed you to spread his peace in your neighborhood. But it's not just there. Your, your dot will move around throughout the week, won't it? You'll go to work. Kids with your siblings or with your parents or at school, the, the ways that we interact online, in our workplace, everywhere we go, these little bubbles of shalom, of peace, of, of spreading the, the goodness of God, of, of helping others take steps toward him, of, of helping create a world where we're striving to spread the peace of our God. This is what he's called us to. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, the sons of God. God wants to use you spread his peace this week, today. Maybe think right now, who is, what are some relationships? What are some ways this week I can strive to spread his peace wherever I am? Let's pray.